0: Welcome to Bottoming, the podcast about LGBTQ mental health, rock bottoming and beyond. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BottomingPod or visit
2: bottomingpodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to.
0: Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. Hi, my name is Brendan, and I am Matthew, and this is Bottoming
2: Season Two, Episode Two, all about exercise. Does exercise
0: really matter? So, um, you probably can guess being a pair of homosexuals, but this is our favourite topic to discuss. Oh my gosh. I will chew discuss. your ear off <laughs> with anything to do with exercise. Um, we have been, truthfully, we have been really excited to record this episode because. Bizarrely, um, even though it probably was the most traumatic, um, subject for us, um, in school, and even now, some days, <laughs> the most traumatic conversation to have when we talk about, um, fitness, um, it's just a very interesting episode. I think we've got planned if we do say so ourselves, and the guests that we've got coming up, um, yeah, we're just very pleased to speak to.
2: Hmm. Very very insightful and. A lot less sarcastic than we're being right now. We've got Matt from Fitu Global who actually made a special appearance in our "Save Me From
0: Tears" episode, and then we also are speaking to Natalie, um, who is Nat underscore Arm. She's been doing some uh, pranayama sessions on NDY Global over on Instagram as well, um, over lockdown. So, um, yeah, we had a really, really insightful, interesting chat with her as well. Okay, so Brendan, I know that you've got a stacked. Mm. Absolutely stacked <laughs> cabinet of sports trophies oh. that you won <laughs> in school from yeah. all of the <laughs> all of the egg races, so
2: many sack races, the relay races. Oh, yeah, girl.
0: Um, but I think when it comes to anything else sport related, mm-hmm. I think similarly to similarly to me, we weren't um we weren't one of the PE teachers' favourites.
2: No i mean i will say in primary school i was actually the fastest kid in my year i believe <laughs> but then went to secondary school and i grew a bit of a ass and uh i was a lot shorter than the, the kids there as well
0: so his right at, down at b jog on instagram <laughs> anyone that's interested <laughs>
2: What, to look at my back shelves? Is the is the are open? <laughs> Jesus. No, we weren't the best at school. Although we did, did both of us go to sports colleges?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So everyone in my school thought they were going to be the next Stephen Gerrard and Michael Owen. I know that was a personal goal so for you. Yeah, yeah. I was on the indoor athletics uh, team in similarly in junior school and then went to sports college, all boys, um, sports college. Uh, when all anyone ever did was play football, so me and the group of friends, the the queers as we were called by everyone, including the P staff. Um, I mean, luckily, I actually had an, an I had an actual knee issue um, sure. in year seven. It's called Osgood-Schlatters, and I apologise if that was a, if I've just slaughtered that terminology and the pronunciation of that. <laughs> but it's like inflammation of around the kneecap. I would so, love to
2: see you <laughs> as a twelve year old queer boy <laughs> trying to explain this to a PE teacher.
0: Honestly, the milking of that letter that was done, it was a good it was a good two years that oh. I milked that Sony. Um but yeah, well, the only time we were on that football pitch was to like dance around the the goalpost when we forgot our kids. Um yeah, it was just never a good experience. <laughs>
2: yeah i've never been one to exercise and i've always found it very tasking the thought of it just oh just never been interested never really wanted to do anything with it never saw the benefits in my teens i was more interested in you know dyeing my hair and drawing than going outside um and i think my 20s my early 20s they've just been more of a process of figuring out what my mental state is and trying to fix that but it it, it took me a while to connect the dots with the physical and the mental self um and more recently i had a brain and behavior unit last term i actually am waiting for my grade for this paper so you know don't hold me to any facts about this um But it was uh, one of the questions was related to the role of lifestyle factors on um, adult hippocampal neurogenesis, which is the ability for neurons to regenerate in the hippocampus of adult humans. There are lots of seen um, benefits for this. There's improved learning and memory and improved mood and anxiety. And one of the lifestyle factors that they say can have a, a good impact on this, as well as diet and other things, is exercise. And although there's like an abundance of research related to the positive effects, there there isn't like a blueprint to say this particular exercise for this particular amount of time will improve your mood and reduce your anxiety for this long. And one of the main reasons for this is individual difference. We're all so uniquely built and have our own physical and mental differences that there's no guarantee with how everything works. We can go on averages, but there's no 100% guide. But actually, for me, that kind of takes the edge off because it doesn't mean that I'm like overwhelmed with, oh, God, I'm never going to have that body shape or I'm never going to look like that. And I'm never going to feel that that way and and have that kind of mental clarity that everyone's talking about because it's just not working for me. It just means that I I can try something else. The problem with depression, uh, which I'm sure we're both familiar with now um is that you are generally less motivated because i mean that's a symptom of of depression um so i started to let myself off the hook for not feeling um if i'm not feeling it that day and just there's always another day to do something um so feeling less pressure is is a is a huge thing when it comes to exercise mentioned recently you started running Matthew
0: yeah I am um, I've tried I've tried running in the past Um, I tried the 5k signed up for 5k when I was um, first moved to London in 2012 and I um, it was like Oscar Slatis actually came back to haunt me <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I damaged my knee on like two and a half k and then hobbled around the rest and then never ran again Um, until last January when I did I was like right this is the year I run again did like three runs Managed to get to about 4k in January and was like, No, I'm not a runner, it's not for me. Um, and then in December, I just did a bit more research into it and thought, I'm gonna, I'm obviously with everything, there's no limits to things. I just kind of, I'm like, I'm gonna push as far as I can, and obviously, if I can't do it, then that's that. Um, but I have to say, the Nike running club app has changed my whole view of running and Mm -hmm. it's really, really, really helped me. Um, so I started to run the first week of January. Um, and in the space of two and a half weeks, I've been able to run two five Ks now. Um, it's like completely changed my approach to running because it's like guided coaching as you run. Um, which I think I always need. Like whenever I've been to the gym in the past and done different classes, I can never just go to the gym and just do my own thing. I always need someone. Yeah. To shout at me and have loud music, or <laughs> I'm not going to do it. So to have someone that is like inspiring and coaching and whatever as, as you're doing your thing and so it's mainly the pacing that was the issue for me um the fact that I've done it now has kind of inspired me and actually made me go like I, I can I can do it but um I think the issue I've had I, the thing is I've always been quite active as even as a kid like I've done the amounts of things I've done i like I've done karate I used to go to uh, swimming um well there's like loads of different variations of active things I've done and I do them a certain length of time and then just didn't want to do them and a lot of that I think was again like everything when you're younger especially as a little gay boy I was like coming to terms with who I was so I didn't want to go to gymnastics anymore because you know in my little brain I think I was in year 2 or 3 I already knew that it was like a flamboyant thing Mm -hmm. I didn't see it as like something that I should be doing noticing how I was being seen by the other boys at school so as a, as a young child who could have done quite well in that a sport, I, I stopped. time told my I didn't want to go anymore. And then karate was a teenager. Stopped doing that because it almost became too hyper-masculine for me. So I felt uncomfortable <laughs> in that space because I wasn't out. Mm. And then swimming, I wasn't comfortable with my body. So I stopped that. And it just was like a never-ending list of things that I'd start and stop. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's, it's kind of taken me a while to get to the point where I'm actually enjoying the activity of stuff and um yeah I'm just pleased that I've I've I can now say that I'm not not a runner.
2: So our first guest is Matt from FitU Global, who we spoke to at the end of last year um, about the link between mental health and exercise and wellbeing.
3: So, my name is Matt, and I run a company called Fitter Confident You. And uh, I've been a personal trainer for nine years. And when I started, I was a more traditional PT. So, I would meet people in the park, train them for an hour, Clapham Common, Tooting Common, places like that. And it was great because it was so different to what I'd been doing before, which was marketing. And it helped me realize that actually fitness is a real passion of mine and the power of even just a little bit of fitness, how it can improve and help people feel better from the inside out. And I did that for about six years uh, outside, rain and shine, which, you know, in summer, it's the best job in the world. And then when it's minus two in December and you're standing under a tree, it's a little tough, but I did it and made some made some lovely clients and helped people on that one to one basis. But I realized I wasn't changing the world. And I knew the power, as I said, of a little bit of like self-care, looking after yourself, however that looks. And I'd also been developing what I call my sensible and sustainable approach, which I know on the surface sounds a bit dull, but really that was how everything had made sense for me and how it was working for my clients. And I wanted to get that out to a larger um, audience because I knew it was, I knew it was the way forward. And about three years ago, I'd started to see the rise of some other online trainers and thought, I think I can do that. I think I might be able to do it better. So took what was happening out there, and started developing. And actually, my old fitter, my old personal training, used to be called Fitter You, and then built, changed it into Fitter Confident in You because I'd also been on a journey with my own mental well-being and understanding how my inner world and my outer world were intricately connected, and that actually, it's it's okay to look inwards and give yourself that bit of introspection to see how you're doing, and maybe build in a bit of meditation that I'd got into as well. And just I realised there was a gap for a program that was more than just, how many reps can you do? How fast can you do it? Blah, blah, blah. Um, And also it was when, so in my first six years of being a PT, I worked with anyone and the theory then was, oh, it's very smart. Oh, if I work with anyone, I'll work with everyone. But it's not true. You fall through the gaps because you don't have a specialism. No one really knows who you speak to or what you're speaking for. So that was when, again, with my own journey, I'd realized... Uh, the power of everything, of all of these different elements. So I put my, I wanted to put my flag in the sand and say, I am here for my community, for LG, well, guys starting off specifically in the LGBTQ community, because so many of us have, for example, bad experiences or just negative experiences of fitness and sport, whether that's at school or growing up in other scenarios. And I wanted to help people realize my community, they realize that it doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be, do as many squats until you puke it can be gentle and steady and fit into your life and be done on your terms and maybe i could build a community to help people start to build the confidence to do it on their terms and fit it into their life so that literally has led me to where we are now um doing what i do and being infinitely proud of all the guys i get to work with whether directly like as a client or just in i've created a private group or just people who are take this sort of kindness method uh, and message that you you do it you do these things slowly kindly how they suit you and it all just starts to work
0: i think what you just said about the in terms of trying to find the client that you want to do it for everyone how do you think having the connection of it being your own community being our community how has that helped kind of build the client base
3: at its heart it's that i live that experience. I am have a male body and I've lived the gay experience in life. Knowing the struggle that we have. And I've met and worked with loads of other, say, straight trainers who do who can be empathetic to our different needs, requirements, struggles. But I've also met other ones who are like, oh, I don't understand why a gay guy wouldn't be happy in a gym. Oh, there's all those other guys there. Like You just don't get it and you never will because you can't take that lens through which you see the world away versus I totally get why people aren't always comfortable walking into a gym because I wasn't 15 years ago. Like I know that uncomfortableness of everyone's judging me. I don't fit on, fit in here. Who are those guys lifting more than me? Oh God, I hate myself. I've got to go that literally, you can't teach that you either get it or you don't. And that, from the ground up is what I can offer and understand with my clients and just, and the, the community.
0: So, I know you mentioned about the rebrand, especially between be just fitter you and fitter confident you. Mm. I, you've obviously seen firsthand the kind of the correlation between the exercise and the mental health side of things. But what have you seen through the work you've been doing with other people? Kind of what difference have you seen doing the two together has made?
3: To shoehorn in, oh, there's one already, a cliche. <laughs>
0: um,
3: it's more than the sum of its parts. So, yes looking after your inner world maybe it doesn't need to be meditation it could ju- it, like people find meditation or meditative moments in so many different ways like gardening or cleaning or cooking or cycling it doesn't need to be sitting down and night chanting or whatever uh, or even just with your eyes closed that that what i discovered as i got into that the most pow- most powerful thing for that was it helps me react slower so uh with something happening and you're response there's a gap and it doesn't always feel like there is but the more you can just pause and just slow down with everything you're doing you can realize there's a gap between something happening and your response meaning you can choose better choose your response so that is one element of uh why looking after sort of building that inner world is important and helping people with that is like such an enormous thing that i honestly if all of us could just react just that little bit slower, so many problems would be alleviated. Um, conversely, so you don't, a, you don't actively have to have a specific mental health practice to build that in that inner world. So, for example, when I said people find meditative moments anywhere, it could be during their workout. And so a lot of my clients, when they've discovered, when I've helped them find a way of exercising that they do enjoy, that does fit into their busy schedule, they realize they are having those moments of peace and separation and calm without actively having to find them. And that can be by itself just something that um, helps them develop and get more comfortable with who they are from the inside out. It's, but when, and obviously if those people don't specifically maybe need to do a meditative practice, for example, but working with people who do, who give both elements a shot. Um, and not, it doesn't always have to start at the same time because well, my whole approach is about baby steps. It's about layering things in bit by bit, getting comfortable with one thing and then adding something else in. If you can make the biggest motivating reason why you're doing it, you, and because it helps you feel good because it lifts your mood because it, uh, future proofs your mind and body. If you can tap into that, that's when things just exponentially get easier and, and, and people get happier and more confident because they worry less about what the outside looks like and not that their outside isn't developing, but if you're building strength mentally and physically from the inside, then the rest of the world just falls away because people get more assured in who they are.
0: Obviously a lot of the journeys that people go on that may come to you are, are deeply personal for people, but mm. are there anything or any experiences or successes that maybe you're able to maybe tell us about?
3: I, I mean, Absolutely um and everyone who works with me throughout the program has some level of personal success and obviously you can't you can't actually say one level of success is better than another because it's all deeply personal to whatever they experience recently though there was a really amazing and i talked about this and he was happy for me to talk about this a client called ian who i worked with uh through like my main program is a 12-week program and I think you need that length of time to to take it slowly to allow for flexibility to allow for the baby steps approach to bed in but also to see and feel lasting physical change and he did see some great physical change and he's kept it going fantastically afterwards. The most amazing thing was this is the first time I ever cried on a client call. So I have regular weekly or fortnightly client calls and there've been some really moving and amazing stories. He said and this is the amazing thing he didn't even realize until about three or four weeks into the program He was addicted to painkillers and he didn't tell me this till near the end. And obviously I'm grateful. He told me at all, but he suddenly realized three or four weeks into the program, he just had stopped taking painkillers every day as he had been though previously for about six months, which had sort of this addiction had crept up on him without him really being fully cognizant of it. And then all of a sudden it was something he was, Oh, I just take these painkillers every day because I need to feel good. And that's what I do. And working with him. And not even knowing that was happening till later on was just, it gives me goosebumps. (laughs) Just, this is the power of taking hold of your life of, and it like, it's not about a drastic change. He started doing three 30 minute workouts a week, a couple of walks. We got him drinking a bit more water, thinking about the food he was eating, being part of a community. That was it. It doesn't need to take up hours and hours of your time or your schedule each week. But it was that commitment when he decided, this is what I want to do for myself. That, that's the power that I'm in him. Oh, I can feel better without other aids, without other things.
0: Given the year that everyone's just had, <laughs> I know the potential, you know, potentially another lockdown in sight, several lockdowns we've just had, a year <laughs> of just being indoors. The idea of creating something more long-term. So you mentioned, obviously, the, the 12-week plan as a starting block what are your kind of ideas around how to make things sustainable in the long term? Kind of like if you were trying to elevate a pitch to someone, why they shouldn't be just be doing like a, here's the the five best things you should be doing in 2021 to lose weight. And they should be investing in something more long-term.
3: There's so much guilt intertwined with food and exercise, helping people unpick that and realize they're completely different things. So people see food often as something to be punished for, especially at Christmas, even with the year we've had. Oh, oh, I ate so much and I feel so bad. I've got to go and got to go for a run to, to burn it off. Like, no, food is a delicious fuel to power you to do what you want to do. Conversely, exercise is often seen as uh, something you use to atone for things you've done. Like, oh God, or, or, or even just like, punishment in some form for whatever you've done previously and again exercise gets you fitter stronger healthier happier balances your hormones helps your sex drive uh, helps your mood helps you run faster jump higher all of these awesome things it's very far down the list for fat loss but the diet industry and the fitness industry over the last 50 years has conflated the two Oh, you want to go you want to get fitter and you want to burn fat go for a run like not an efficient, A, not an efficient use of your time. Look, if you like running, brilliant, go running. Because it does help people's mood. I actually, in the last few months, got back into running again. It has been really fun, but it's because I like running and it gets me out and it's good for my mood. And I see the sky and you look up and you realize the world's bigger than just the four walls you've been in all day. Um, but in terms of, uh, I think we underestimate our power for investigating what works for us we end up thinking, oh, everyone's doing that. So I've got to do it too. But actually you're an incredible, amazing investigative machine who can learn and test and try things out and see what works. I I want people to, to realize the power is in their hands to start feeling better. Give yourself a break, find, try one thing, just one thing for a week and see how it goes. Like try a protein shake for breakfast, for example. There are so many intricate ways you can make adjustments to your life and you'll be so surprised how quickly you they can make you feel better even of course physical change doesn't happen overnight but mental well-being and your energy levels and just how you feel can change in a heartbeat
0: and i think the obviously the most important part of this as well if you've got people now that have listened to this and want to get involved not just with the daily workouts but in something more long-term and how do they go about? getting in touch and finding a little bit more out about that
3: in I, I created a private group about three years ago and again not really sure what would happen it's now got four and a half thousand members which blows my mind and again that allows me to show more people this sensible steady kind fitness approach It's very much a i want everyone to feel welcome whoever you are whatever you look like wherever you're from um and it's it's gay by trans guys or guys within the lgbt community basically. Um, so I would start there. So that's just called Fit a Confident You. Search for that on Facebook and join the group. You'd be very welcome. There's free workouts and other stuff in there. Then obviously I mentioned the 12-week program. So that can start at any time, and that's dot you.net forward slash online training, which I know is a mouthful, and I really need to change that. <laughs> I mean, equally, just drop me a line because there's there's different things we can do to help to just to make it accessible to people. And also, like, I appreciate this year's been a shit show for a lot of people. So like talk to me. If you can't afford it, let me know. And I'm here to help people and give people discounts and like make it accessible. It's been in the last couple of years, even before the pandemic, just my mission is to just connect with people and help them start to take those steps to feel better. The more we all feel better, the happier everyone will be. The lower incidences of anxiety, stress, depression, worse, there will be in our community and starting, yeah, with our community from the ground up. And actually this year as well is something that going to put this out there you don't conclude it i really wanted to meet and find an amazing lesbian trainer to run the female lesbian centered arm of fitter confident you because i don't know a woman's body i don't have that experience to understand their concerns their drives like their issues their what their benefits their wins like all of that and i think and i that was specifically why i don't work with lesbians at the moment because i don't have that first hand experience but what I want to do is bring an amazing lesbian trainer on board under the umbrella of what we do. And like, everything's ready to go. We just need to find her. <laughs> it's like a treasure hunt.
0: <laughs> so for people that have, um, have listened to previous episodes of ours, you may have heard us, um, and seen on actually on our socials that we um, spoke in depth about the walk that we did um, in 2018, now actually. 2018? Was it? 2019. um <sighs> Long when time When we walked ago. 66 miles um, in a full circle around the Isle of Wight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in one day, in one go. Um, 31
2: hours and 45 minutes, I think, was the <laughs> time.
0: <laughs> yeah. And we did that to raise some money for Terence Higgins Trust. Yeah. Um, and I guess the reason that will mention this again is obviously because it was <laughs> it was an enormous experience for us, and it was a very big deal. It was a huge um, challenge. Yeah, it was a, a a physical and a mental challenge. Mm. Um, but I think it also was <laughs> we'd both underestimated. Well, it, all of us, under four of us it, did it, Rachel and Sarah as well, um, massively underestimated um, what walking is. Mm.
2: <laughs> I mean, you do it every day. What, what, what? what do you know what I mean? Be?
0: Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can walk around the Isle of Wight. Have I been to the Isle of Wight before? No. I <laughs> Have I walked six miles in one go before? I don't think I had done. I mean, before
2: we had, we did some training. Don't, don't get us wrong. We, we. No, I mean, <laughs> before worked we worked like. Let me just. <laughs> <laughs> we walked like twenty miles in a go.
0: I don't mean before the the big walk, I mean before we signed up. <laughs> oh before we signed up oh yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Barely walked to the shop. <laughs> we didn't just rock up to the other way.
2: <laughs> um Yeah, we did some test test runs with, with, mm. with some you know, around London, but London's a very flat city. It we is... didn't we didn't anticipate
0: the terrain. No, it is not a coastal path. It's I think three three marathons almost. We did on a two and a half mm-hmm. marathons worth mm-hmm. that you have to walk. And that we did so yeah that was a very very big challenge for us um and also it's not the same fitness as or it doesn't have the same fitness requirements as say running 5k Mm. (laughs) now that i am a runner (laughs) i'm qualified to say that it doesn't have the same fitness as that or you know our our cycle at the time was commuting to and from work so four miles each way and i'd get off and be a bit sweaty but would be fine whereas you know the walks we were doing, it would like kill us for days.
2: Mm-hmm. It was an endurance test, for mm. sure. I remember, like, I have vivid memories, I think uh, Rachel and Sarah dropped out at this point, and it was the two of us the following day, so we'd been walking all day, all night, and we'd just had breakfast, and we're on this um, long stretch along the beach, and I mean, it sounds idyllic now, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but it was the one of the hottest days of the year as well mm. and yeah. the sun was coming up and there was no wind it was just heat and we just walk and i just thought i was going to collapse and we we're like sitting down and you were like giving me the old pep talk and and we pushed through and did it mm. and i think that's one of like the the mo- the greatest satisfactions about one exercise in general but this specific experience is proving to yourself that you can do it Mm-hmm. And that feeling afterwards, like, oh, I did it. Mm-hmm. It's incredible.
0: I think one of the good things, well, I say good, it was not good at the time. But I think in terms of communication, nine times out of ten, I think me and you were very much on the same page. Mm. And the entire, I would say, out of the 32 almost hours, I would say 30 hours we were on the same page. Mm. And we were talking and it was fine. We could pump each other up. And um, I can, again, vividly remember there was only a couple of hours that it happened when I was kind of like, are you okay? Are you okay? We both had <laughs> headphones in, and I was just kind of was doing the check. Mm-hmm. And that was the only time you've ever just been like, leave me alone, don't speak. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, it was like two words that you were giving me, and I was kind of like, oh my God, here must be at like the lowest, the lowest of the <laughs> low points right now. Because even when we've been like, the spiraling sessions that we've mm-hmm. been in before, we've been able to like talk about it or joke about it or whatever. Whereas I can still vividly remember those like, just the face the it wasn't even even look at me it was just like mm-hmm. a soul gone
2: <laughs> well i'm going to say that when i'm at my lowest points i despise every living thing that is around me <laughs> so i'm not surprised that came off because i honestly radiate hatred when I'm in my <laughs> lowest and that's also another thing which affects adult hippocampal neurogenesis, going back to my f- earlier point, is sleep and sleep is such a valuable thing to do with mental health mm. and and in, in having like a clear state of mind and because we had been walking all night as well physically exhausted mentally exhausted lack of sleep I mean, no wonder I didn't
0: hurt you yeah <laughs> Honestly, I do have to say though, those last, it was like the last couple of hours when we'd go over a hill mm-hmm. and I could see the end and we'd get to the top of the hill and we'd go down and there was another seven hills <laughs> and it was like all them yellow flowers. Yes. picture It was like, it was like the most blue skies you've ever seen, mm-hmm. yellow flowers, really long grass. You see the finish line and it was up and down, up and down. It was getting so, it was so slow how close mm-hmm. we were getting to it. But we ran hand in hand to the, the finish line and Rachel and Sarah had made it back there to meet us. I don't think I've ever cried such ugly tears in my life. The woman handed us a little paper cup of Prosecco. Yes. I think it was Prosecco. I think It could so. have been piss and I'd have drank it at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it could have been anything. Happily, and yeah. I would have downed it. Give me the bottle of it. <laughs> one of the things that i do um like to stick her and have stuck her for a few years now has been yoga um and when we were uh, training for the walk through 2018 and um, that was that was the only other thing that i was doing i was walking and, and practicing yoga and it was the same time that i was going to um to counseling sessions and what i found kind of invaluable at that time was i would go to a counseling session on a thursday um afternoon it was like a four o'clock session And then I'd go to a six o'clock yoga session. So they became intertwined. So it kind of became the same practice and the same thing for me. And I'd never, up until that point, when I was processing anything, I'd never been able to stop my mind and properly process the thoughts and properly unpack stuff. And the practice of yoga was the first time I'd ever really had a place to put pause on what everything else that was going on and actually just focus on what I was doing in the in the, the moment that I was in right then and I know that um a lot of the talk around especially yoga from what you see online and on different socials kind of it can become very um commercialized so people kind of switch off very easily to it but um it is incredibly valuable and I think if I mean, especially with a lockdown, like the amount of people that were tuning into like yoga with Adrian, or um, the amount of like yoga teachers that were doing Instagram live sessions or, you know, pay um, donation sessions they were doing on Zoom. Um, kind of if you do get the chance, I would highly recommend it because it just is for me anyway, it was a it was a really invaluable um, moment. And it kinda of leads on to one of the other things that goes with yoga is the 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 power of breath and how, how breath works with yoga you get taught. Um, how to breathe properly? You have to do it in order to move and flow through the practice. So that leads us quite nicely, actually, onto our next guest. Um, so Natalie um practices pranayama and teaches it um daily, actually. Um, so I'm gonna just allow her to introduce herself and yeah, chat a little bit more with her.
1: Hello, thank you for having me. Um, pranayama is uh, an ancient yogic science. Um, and it's one of the eight elements of yoga that usually gets overlooked. So you're probably more used to asana, which is the physical posture, but pranayama is to do with breathing. Um, and prana is what we use to describe, um, life force energy. It kind of roughly translates to in English and yama means the extension of. I've been teaching since the pandemic started every day, apart from the weekends so from March until today, I've, I'm teaching um, and it's encouraging people at this time to come and breathe, but not just to sit and breathe, but also work through these different techniques that um, are really old and difficult to get the hang of. But once you know how to do them and you practice them regularly, they can have a really profound effect on your mental health, your emotional health and your physical health.
0: I mean, the thought of anyone sticking to anything this long <laughs> from last March given how difficult it's been I think is is an enormous um achievement so kind of well done to you for for giving to it for that long um and I'm kind of aware of how much it's meant to a lot of people um do you want to just give us a little bit of background into why the power of breath is so important and I think especially given the last 12 months and kind of in the era of COVID
1: yeah um for the first time people actually began to think about their respiratory function. Um, I don't, I mean, I I say it's for the first time, maybe it wasn't people who've been dealing with asthma have definitely been thinking about it. Um, but as a collective, everybody suddenly became very aware of their breath, where they were breathing, who who they were breathing on. Um, and it also, it became a source of anxiety actually, as well as something that we need to do. Um, and I also mentioned to you when we had a conversation before, I say it all the time in my class, but when the pandemic first hit and everybody rushed to the shops to buy, to stockpile food, um, it's under the assumption that we need food the most to survive or we need water when actually we can live for a really long time we can live over a month without solid food and we can live um several days without water but we can't live any longer than roughly about three or four minutes without oxygen so the message that I was trying to push at the beginning was that actually breathing is the most important thing we can do and when we were all in a state of shock and panic um a lot of people just stopped breathing Properly, And that is the very thing that was not only going to um, help us respond to a crisis, but also it's a virus that is airborne. So the better your respiratory function, uh, the better your immunity as well. In the pandemic, I was getting letters from people um, letting me know that it was... Really helping them with their routine, helping them get up in the morning, uh, and really assisting them deal with a crisis emotionally. So I kind of saw it as really important to continue from that time on.
0: Yeah, I think what you were saying about um, I guess people's awareness of the breath, especially kind of since COVID, is, is a big thing. Like I've got asthma, so it's always been something I've been aware of, but not in the same way as the last twelve months. So I was doing online breath workshops um with someone that. I came across on an Instagram and kind of understood the importance of it, that it's not just like, I'll oh, just do some breathing that it has a lot more power to it. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, like we, we had a little catch up before we spoke and one of the things you mentioned that I found, um, really quite, I don't know what the right word is for it, but, um, it's, it's kind of stuck with me before and it stuck with me in, um, one of the live sessions you did for N, NDY as well. um, is about the physical trauma that gets held in the body and also you mentioned structural trauma as well so do you mind just kind of discussing that a little bit further um I mean it's not something that maybe I I understand um but especially other people as well um I think it would be good to learn a little bit more about
1: yeah so um, I guess now there's more awareness about trauma and how it affects us um, I think people have been doing a lot of reading around it through the pandemic where they've had to face how they feel it's not a secret that um, trauma does affect the body and how we store it the thing about Baniyama and why I think it was appealing to people and speaking to people is that I wasn't teaching a type of yoga that encourages you to bypass that sometimes with the whitewashing of yoga uh, unfortunately Uh, there's kind of like this um, growing culture around feeling how you feel, but just kind of skimming over it and namaste, everything's all right. But actually, when you practice it in the way that certainly my ancestors intended, you have to go into really deeply uncomfortable emotions. Um, And a lot of that is related to grief. Um, And uh, what I teach is to not have a story about it and not have a narrative about it, but try and unravel it and let it come out and let it be what it is. Now, most of the people that came to my class were people of colour or black people. And around that time, I think there was definitely a need for people to acknowledge parts of themselves that were really, really hurting um, and have the space to go into them and breathe through it. Um, And I think also what you're referencing to is intergenerational trauma and people of colour have that, (laughs) that dates back a long time. And black people especially have um, generations and generations of deep, deep trauma, which when they engage with a breathing activity can be really triggering, but it also could be really healing. And I think at the time where um, there was a global movement that was re-traumatizing black people um, and their entire ancestry, um, I could feel it in the class that there was an enormous, like unimaginable amount of pain that people were experiencing without many ways of being able to be held or talk about it. And so much of it was unspoken um, pain. But coming to breathing and having a place to go into those uncomfortable feelings and breathe through it with an almost like a knowing and almost channeling um, spirituality that has guided people of color from way before colonization, way before all of that. found People found quite healing um, and it worked in a really good way. Um, And I think because of that, what I realized is that there needed to be a sacred kind of protected space for people of color and black people. So I also made it into a space where if you are not a person of color, um, you're asked to donate and leave your camera off if possible, which would then just kind of make everybody understand that, yes, we can all heal together but there is all there is a way of taking responsibility and accountability for uh, privilege, which is something that was also coming to the fore at that time, and it's not something that's really spoken about when it comes to healing or hasn't been historically. But actually, there are some spaces um, that, if they're protected and regarded um, with a prioritisation for people of colour, not just pe- the, not just people of colour. I'm I'm queer as well, and a lot of the people that were in my class. Um, our QTpoOC, QTBpoOC people, It was became very important that we protected that space for us as well, who were going through all kinds of different um, experiences, as well as being compounded uh, with the disproportionate effect that we were facing from COVID. Um, and I think it's really important that I mention that because there was also it was also very difficult to be able to process that in this timing. Knowing that there's also generations behind us who um, are in a lot of pain and are also the most at risk as well.
0: LGBT mental health generally is a topic that is not discussed enough, but again, when you break that down into the different parts of the community, there's there's so many people within that that are just not they don't have the space. There's there's no places for them to go to. So if they're finding it difficult to access. To, or even to think about beginning that process of acceptance or healing or any of the, any of the above, if there's not even a space for them to look to, to begin with, then it's just, it's an impossibility. And as you say, it just is part of the system that is in place to make it difficult to begin with.
1: I think as well, it's important to know that those structural oppressions are felt even heavier during COVID. Um, There's a lot of people without housing. There's a lot of people without any form of income. And um, even though the protests like sparked worldwide interest, um, people saw black trans lives matter protests as well. um, That isn't housing, you know, that isn't access to things. And Unfortunately, there was a lot of people who showed up for the protest who disappeared when um, it was time to find housing. It was time to find places for people to live and get them some mental health support and get them um, things that they need. And I think that that is grief in itself, you know, and I think with in addition of dealing with people dying and losing people. And unfortunately, there was um, a couple of suicidal suicides that I'm aware of Um I can't imagine how many there has been during COVID. Um, It's really important to remind ourselves that these issues haven't gone away just because no one's on the street at the moment.
0: Yeah. And I think kind of going forward as well, and hopefully as as things begin opening up again, you know, when lockdown eases and they can get back to their like quote unquote regular life, obviously they still need to be engaged and, they still need to be put in kind of the money where their mouth is in a way. But um I guess there's there's lots of ways for though for allies to get involved, but also for the community that there are a lot of spaces out there that are still going kind of online if not in real life.
1: Promote spaces for queer people of colour. Um I think that's a really good way to be an ally if you're not sure because um when the pandemic hit we all kind of, like, have our place in the LGBT community where we go to feel represented and accepted for who we are. And for me, I was a, used to go to a night called Babes, BBZ, um, and that has shut down. Um, Pussy Palace, shut down. Um, there's another place um, that's run by somebody called, like, Ryan Lange called Hangama. That hasn't been going ahead. And uh, Pride of Arabia hasn't had any events obviously all these spaces um are places for people of color um I'm also part of a collective um called misery party run by Aisha Merza and Aisha has been going through the whole pandemic holding um a sober space uh for queer people of color black um and POC people of color and um holding um something called misery meets every month and it's a place for lgbt black and poc people to come together um and start at the point of being sad so it kind of acknowledges that we're all just very sad for a lot of reasons trying to be a human in a very inhuman world um And that point being the point of entry entry into the space means that there is absolute permission to feel however you feel in that space. Um, And since misery has been going all the way through the pandemic, it's just garnered numbers. And we have people coming from all over the world, people from all over the world are coming. Um, And it's such a beautiful, sacred space. Misery are always looking for funding, always looking to be supported by allies. If you hear about it, if you know somebody that might benefit from it, share it, donate if you can. Um, and I and I lift this space because even though it was a physical party, it's one of the few that has managed to continue holding space for people online as the pandemic has gone through. And it still will. They've got big plans for 2021. Um, and also to acknowledge that those spaces that were um, were open, like Babes, like Pussy Alice um, pride of Arabia, Hongarm those kind of places, like the people behind those nights that everyone used to come to and love off <laughs> those people still, you know, they don't have jobs right now. They need support too. And there's a lot of people that, um, came to my class. I had a lot of DJs in my class and I remember thinking to myself, so many of these DJs are enjoyed by so many people, but how many of those people are now ensuring they've got food on the table that they, they haven't lost their housing. Um, um, and this is also something that people can take into consideration um when they're thinking about um how to support black and brown people um how wh- where are they now in the pandemic and are they okay that's a simple question that a lot of people can ask because in the lgbt community certainly um there's a lot of creatives there's a lot of people that ha- uh, had different sort of startup initiatives that they were managing that have been massively impacted um so just ask those questions and um, see. do what you can for spaces that protect us and allow us to have a, a space to process how we feel um, as well.
2: Huge thanks to uh, Matt and Natalie uh, for being involved in this episode. It was uh, really great to talk to you. And very insightful, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think when we said at the start of the episode that we were um, really excited to do this, I think when we kind of planned this, we, we thought the title was maybe a bit funny, but I don't think either of us expected to get what we did out of it. Like, we both had no. a lot of fun recording it, but mm-hmm. also speaking to the guests that we've had, it's just been really, really eye-opening, actually. Um, so thank you for, thank you to both of the guests for for giving your time to us. Um, and thanks again for listening
2: Yeah, thanks so much, everyone. Uh, We really appreciate you listening to us. Quick reminder to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It does really, really help. And um, we just want to keep growing and getting better. So so really, that could be the best way to support us.
0: So usually we would say we'll see you in two weeks. But we're aware that LGBT History Month begins next week. So we are thrilled to share that we're actually going to be bottoming every (laughs) single week in February. And we can't wait (laughs) That wasn't on my mood board for 2021 (laughs) So we're going to have A series of special episodes Coming out every Wednesday Instead of every other Wednesday Um, They're going to be shorter than our regular episodes And we're going to speak to a different guest or two Each time um, On a completely different topic We're so
2: excited And really hope you tune in So Mm -hmm. subscribe as per usual And um, that means we'll be seeing you next week seeing you, you know, speaking to you. You know what I mean. As usual, you are doing amazing, sweetie.
0: You're doing amazing, sweetie.
2: Toodaloo.
1: Cool fact.